0: It is great to be here this evening. Appreciate once again the opportunity to be able to be here. Had a great day today with these young folks and and some of the old folks as well. Had enjoyed it uh, very much. Appreciate the invitation has been extended by the elders here to come and to spend this week together with you. And we're studying some things out of the Old Testament. If you if this is your first time, you've just stepping into our studies. Romans chapter fifteen and verse number four says, "For whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture." might have hope and there's a lot of things in the Old Testament there's some fascinating stories and there's a couple of things we're trying to do this week one is want you to be familiar with the stories secondly I want you to be able to take some lessons from those stories and yesterday we were looking at Elisha both services yesterday and we're going to close up with the end of Elisha's life tonight and then we're going to move on to some other Old Testament stories after tonight but I want to I want to close out with Elisha and I, want to, I, want, I broke this up on purpose because to spend enough time to kind of get the points across uh, in Elisha's life, but we, uh, for those that are just stepping in, and I don't want to give you a very short review of some of what we've been looking at with the story of Elisha called the series Blind to the Blaze which comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. The story of Elisha starts at 1 Kings chapter 19 essentially to 2 Kings chapter 13 but 2 Kings chapter 6 is when the servant is looking out the window we'll talk about that here in just a moment and he sees those flaming chariots and horsemen around Elisha but he couldn't see it he was blind to the blaze that was happening he was blind to the spiritual things that were taking place but I want to back up just a little bit look at some of the things we we talked about yes that Elisha was called to be a prophet. Uh, You remember we started the story with Elijah as opposed to Elisha, two separate individuals. Elijah is in a cave and he says, I'm the only faithful one left. You might as well take my life from me, God, uh, because I'm the only one that cares about you. Everybody else has bowed the knee to Baal and all that kind of stuff. And God says, get out of the cave. Go be a prophet. I need a prophet. I want you to go appoint Elisha to be a prophet. There are 7,000 faithful men that have not bowed the knee to Baal. So go. You've got... uh, job to do. You've got work to do. We pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 16. Jehu the son of Nimshah shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. So he says I want you to go call Elisha to be a prophet. And he goes and he does that. And Elisha he goes and finds Elisha. Elisha's out plowing a field with 12 yoke of oxen before him. He's just a farmer. He's farming ground. There's nothing special about it. It's day to day routine sort of stuff. Honorable man. Nothing to dishonorable about that but he's just a simple guy. He he didn't come from royalty he wasn't a king, his parents weren't prophets or anything along those lines he was just called to be a prophet and Elijah came to him and cast his mantle on him and said God wants you to be his prophet. So he runs after Elijah and says give me just a few seconds let me go talk to my folks and let me tell uh, my folks goodbye and let them tell them that you know I'm fixing to be doing this work as a prophet to minister to you, to care for you, to minister to the people of God and he runs after and you remember the fact that not only was he called to be a prophet, but he was called to be committed as a prophet. We talked about that all-in concept, that he was all-in. He wasn't going back to farming. In fact, he boiled the yoke of oxen. He boiled the oxen and he wasn't planning and used the instruments of the oxen to do it with. He was not going back to farming. He was through behind the plow. Now, I don't know if profiting, being a prophet for the people of God is easier than farming. I don't know. But he wasn't going back to farming. He was committed to what it was that God God called him to do. And we talked about how important it is for us to uh, to be committed that way. Not only was he called to be committed, but he was called to be present committed. And we looked at 2 Kings chapter 2, where time after time, Elijah said, you stay here, I'm going to go up to Bethel, and, and I'll come back and get you here in a moment. He said, I'm not leaving your side. He said, well, you stay here, I'm going up to Jericho. He said, I'm not leaving your side. And finally, he crosses a, a brink, or a, a brink, a he crosses a river and takes a mantle, strikes it, the waters part, they walk through on dry ground, get a little further up the road, Elijah looks to Elisha and says, what thing would you like me to do for you? And he says, well, you remember when you struck the waters and they parted and we went through on dry ground? I'd like two of those. I'd like the ability, I'd like a double portion of that spirit to be upon me. And he said, if you're here and present when I'm taken up from you, you'll have a double portion of that spirit. And you remember there in 2 Kings chapter 2 that Elijah was ultimately taken up in a whirlwind and and elisha was present and that mantle was cast to him and he stood there with that mantle he rent his clothes in twain and we go from the sunday morning sermon to the sunday afternoon sermon what does he do when he's going through despair he's his clothes are rent in in pieces he's in mourning m-o-u-r-n-i-n-g he's in grief He's sad, he's in despair. What's he going to do? His mentor's gone. This just isn't any fun anymore. His job to minister to his mentor is gone. What's he going to do? Well, what he does is he takes a mantle and he strikes the waters and they part. and He goes through and he starts being a prophet for the people of God. He keeps going. We talked about yesterday some of those principles as well. He never lost faith when his mentor died. He kept going. He kept working. He kept pressing. And we talked a little bit about the woman with the empty vessels, the Shunammite woman there in 2 Kings chapter 4, deadly pottage, 20 uh, loaves of barley and corn for a hundred men. Naaman in there in 2 Kings chapter 5, the floating axe head. And then we got to 2 Kings chapter 6 and that's when uh, the the king of Syria was uh, wondering, how in the world is, does the king of Israel always seem to know where, what I'm doing and where I'm going and that kind of thing. And he gets his advisors around him and says, what is it that's going on? And he said, well there's a prophet of God he knows what you're thinking. And in fact, that prophet of God, his name's Elisha. They said, where is he? He said, he's in Dothan. So let's get our horses and chariots. Let's go to, to Dothan. Let's find this guy because he is creating havoc for me as king of Syria. So they take all their chariots and horsemen, they surround the city, and Elisha's servant looks out the many blinds, and, and he sees we're surrounded. And this is where he says, alas, how shall we do? What is it we're going to do? We're surrounded. We're fixing to get killed. And you remember what Elisha told him? He said, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they, they that be with them. And and he prayed to God and said, open his eyes that he can see what's happening here. And there are a Elisha was surrounded with flaming chariots and horsemen. He wasn't going to be touched. He was surrounded with the spiritual aspect of God being with him. And his eyes were open to those spiritual things. There was a realm of spirituality that was not observable in the flesh. But his eyes were open. He was able to see Elisha wasn't going to be hurt at all. That's where I got the title of the lesson, Blind to the Blaze. That servant was blind to the blaze that was happening around him. And we talked a little bit about that as well. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Um, We closed out uh, the sermon last night with that story. With uh, them being surrounded and God God telling or Elisha ultimately telling, said, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And here they are surrounded. How are they going to win this battle? And it's kind of interesting how they won the battle. Because God, very just that quick, without a sword drawn, without a gun shot, he blinded the army. So this entire army that had surrounded them was now blind in their chaos. They couldn't find their way. They couldn't find their horses. They couldn't find their weapons. They're blind. People were having to lead them around by the hand. They couldn't. And so ultimately, they were taken and gathered together as a, as a captured group of people and brought before the king of Israel. Now you would think if this is the opposing army or your enemy that the king of Israel would be saying, let's kill this guy let's, or let's kill this army. Let's take care of business here. But instead, the word came down that they were supposed to be fed. Jesus said, just feed them, care for them. So they did. And I think that kind of reminds us a little bit of some principles that we see in the New Covenant as well. But in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse number 23, we'll pick up our story tonight. He prepared great provision for them. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. They went to their masters. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Syria didn't bother them anymore. They had, they, they fed the army. They killed them with kindness. And the armies of Syria didn't bother them anymore. And then we get to uh, the famine that takes place, even so bad, the famine was so bad that women were eating their own children, there's cannibalism taking place, it was horrendous times. Chapter 8, Elisha prophesies that there's going to be plenty. And within a 24 hour period of time, all of a sudden they've got enough corn and grain and, and food and bread for everyone. Uh, one of those miracles that God performed as well. This is shortly thereafter, Jezebel was thrown down and the dogs licked the blood. That's where you find that story. And Then we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 13 kind of near the end of Elisha's life. And Elisha was sick unto death. And I want to pick up reading in verse number 14 of 2 Kings chapter 13. If you're following along with me. Now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. He opened it and then Elisha said shoot and he shot and he said the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. And he said take the arrows and he took them and he said unto the king of Israel smite upon the ground he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said thou shouldest have smitten five or six times then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Now I want you to kind of get the context of what's taking place here uh, Elisha's sick. He's not dead yet, but he's sick with the sickness that he's gonna die of. And he's laying there in the hospital bed, and, and he's you know, he's on his deathbed. He's, he's on a ventilator. You know, it's not gonna be long. And the king of Israel was not a righteous man, but he was righteous enough to know that if we lose the prophet of God, this isn't a good plan, and this isn't good. So he made a hospital visit to the prophet of God, and he comes in and he sees uh the, the Elisha and and talks to him and Elisha said I want you to take your bow and arrow and he said I want you to point eastward somebody tell me because I am totally turned around this building Yancey which way is east? Let's go this way. okay? And he, says, he said, I want you to take your bow and arrow and I want you to take a, an arrow and I want you to shoot. And he, and he gives this description about the fact you put your hands on it first and Elisha puts his hands on it. They point out a window to the east and they shoot an arrow out that way. And basically in their culture, basically they were just saying, that's our enemy out there. And that's who we're going to war against. That's the person we're going to defeat in battle. That's the, the kingdom we're going to be working against. And, and it was the one to the east, which was Syria. That was their enemy. going said, you're gonna, you're gonna, that's who you're going to battle with. That's who you're going to be able to destroy. He said, now take some arrows and shoot them in the ground. And he takes three arrows and he shoots them in the ground. Now to you and I, that may not mean a whole lot. But to them and their culture, that's like us drawing that line in the sand, making an affirmation, we're going to battle against these people. And we're, we're going to win. He's trying to fire the troops up. But instead, the king just shoots three arrows in the ground. And Elisha's mad. That's an old English term up there where it says he's wroth. That means he had wrath. He was mad. He was upset, and he was upset because he said, "Why didn't you take six arrows or five arrows? Why didn't why three? I just told you you could defeat your enemy, and you shoot me three arrows. That's all you give me. Is three arrows. You could shoot. You could have shot five, six, ten, twelve, if you really cared about what it was that you were doing." He said, "Because of that, you're only going to win three battles against Syria, and you're not going to." Consume them. You could have consumed them. You could have taken out your whole quiver full of arrows and you could have shot them in the ground because you cared about what it was you were doing, but you didn't care. And so you're not going to ultimately win the battle against the king of Syria. Then one other thing I want you to notice about the story tonight is Elisha dies 2nd Kings chapter 13 verse number 20 Elisha died they buried him the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year and it came to pass as they were burying a man that behold they spied a band of men and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha he revived and stood upon his feet I just want you to notice here the powerful legacy of Elisha that even after he was dead after he was dead and gone his bones were in a sepulcher. They tried to bury another guy in the same sepulcher, touched his bones and that guy came alive because Elisha was that powerful a man of God. That's pretty impressive. I mean that beats any Star Wars movie, right? I mean, you start putting bodies inside a sepulcher and they come to life because they came in touch with the came in uh, touch with the prophet of God, Elisha. That's the kind of life that Elisha lived. Now, I want to do a little review from the last couple of sermons and then I want to get to what I want to talk about tonight. But first of all, we talked about yesterday. He he was out farming early in his life. You know, he's called to her earlier in his life. He's called to be a prophet of God, and and uh, he's out farming. And we talked about the fact that. You know, it doesn't matter your background and heritage and all that. God can use you in His kingdom. Uh, God's used farmers, fishermen, carpenters, physicians, tent makers, persecutors, slaves, and a lot of others. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your heritage. You don't have to be the son of a prophet. You don't have to be the son of a Christian to be a Christian. God calls you into His service, so you can be used in His service from any background. We talked about the fact that God's called us to be committed to that. We talked uh, yesterday morning about that all-in concept. You can't be ten percent all-in. You. Can't Can't be 50% all in. You can't be 60% all in. You're either all in or you're not all in. Sometimes people say, well, I'm all in until times are hard. I'm all in until it's not comfortable for me any longer. I'm all in until you're not all in. I just want to tell you, you're not all in. All in is all in. And that's what all in means. And and in the case of Elisha, I'm pointing back there like y'all can see that. I'm used to working with slides back here. I'm just Yeah, all in. (laughs) It's like y'all would snap your necks back and see that slide up there. All in means, right? Y'all know what it means. It means I'm 100% dedicated to the cause. And we looked at this passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. It says, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, Paul said to Timothy. Are you counted faithful to the cause? God's called you. Maybe you made that dedicated statement that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. and Upon that confession of faith, and upon your obedience to the gospel of Christ, you're baptized into Christ. You rise to walk in newness of life. Was that an all-in commitment? Am I, am I in? Am I committed to that cause? Or did I get halfway down? I'm not even counted faithful any longer. And I hope that you're counted faithful to the vow that you made. We made application to that with husbands and wives. We stand before the preacher as a as a husband or a potential husband. We say, till death do us part. For richer, for poor, better, worse. Sickness, health. And you know what we prefer. We prefer richer, better, health. Right? But are we all in for half of it or are we all in for, for the whole thing? That means we may go through bad times and things like that. God wants us to be present and accounted for. And we talked about how, you know, Elisha uh, wouldn't leave Elijah's side. He, He said, if you're here and present and accounted for, when I'm taken up, you'll get a double portion of that spirit. And how important it is to be present. We talked about how important it is as a husband or a father to be present. How important it is as as a Christian to be present. And I'll be honest with you, it really doesn't matter what you do, it's important for you to be present. If you're really going to be involved in, you'd be involved in a civic organization, and, and let's take softball or whatever, baseball. You can claim you're on a baseball team all day long. If you don't show up, you're not on the team. It's important. Presence is important. We talked about 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 17. We love the brotherhood. And being present in the kingdom of God's not a problem if we love what it is that we do. We don't have a problem with church contributions when we love what it is we do. We don't have a problem with presence when we love what it is that we do. And we love the brotherhood. We love church. We love our friends. We love our families. That kind of thing. We talked about last night not losing faith during the bad times. Talked about Elisha rending his clothes. He was in despair. He lost his mentor. What did he do? He kept being a prophet. He put one foot in front of another. He didn't give up. He kept walking. He kept talking. He kept doing what it was that he was called to do. And I want to tell you, you're going to go through bad times. You're going to go through difficult times. Don't lose faith during bad times. Keep walking, keep talking, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter one and verse number four. Uh, the Apostle Paul was thanking them for their patience and faith in their persecutions, even when they were going through a bad time, they were still faithful to the cause you 're going to go through some difficult times there 's going to th- be some days when you really don 't want to do it. When it really isn't fun to do, but you keep walking and you keep doing and you keep pressing and you don't give up. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you're going through a bad time or you've gone through a bad time. Don't give up. Keep walking. Keep working. Mark, 16, or Mark 6 and verse number 11, Jesus said, even when you're preaching the gospel, they won't hear you. Knock the dust off your feet, go to the next city. Don't give up. Keep walking, keep pushing, keep pressing. We talked to, uh, last night about walking by faith, not by sight, that some things are spiritually discerned and how important that is, that we walk by faith and not by sight. That we look at the instruments, we look at the Word of God, it keeps directing us through bad times. There are some things that are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14, and we need to learn to walk in the spirit and spiritually discern that we 're in a spiritual warfare we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers spiritual uh, darkness etc and and I want to tell you the reality is we 're in a spiritual war, and we need to spiritually discern those things. There's a lot of danger out there, and if you don't open up your eyes and see the danger that's out there, you can fall into that pit and fall into those temptations. We talked about Romans eight and verse number thirty-one yesterday, as we closed up that if God's for us, who can be against us? With God and me, we're we're a multiplier. With God and me, we're a we're a majority. With God and me, we can win battles. There's more on our side than what's on theirs. We're gonna win the battle in the end. He's promised us that we would, but we gotta walk by faith and not by sight. And I want to into tonight's lessons. I want you to walk away with these tonight if you don't mind. You know, the enemy was struck with blindness. They scattered, they ultimately won or defeated them in battle, and they gathered them together, brought them to the king of Israel, ready to destroy them. Said, Why don't we just slaughter these guys right here? And the king said, Let's feed them, let's kill them with kindness. I want you to walk away tonight because I think there's a message that we can learn in our Christian walk from this concept that not everything is living in the flesh. Not everything is revenge. Not everything is getting payback. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Let the Lord do the vengeance thing. Let's learn to love our enemies. You'll recognize. The Christian principle that Christ taught us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 44. I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that bless you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. We need to learn to love our enemies. And I want to tell you, that's not easily done in the flesh. That's done in the spirit. That is a spiritual, spiritually mature concept that is challenging for people to understand that you can't live in the flesh and see the mind of God at the same time. It's the flesh that says, let's get back. Let's destroy. Let's, let's hurt somebody. And it's God that is saying, let's kill them with kindness. Let's do good to them that hate us and pray for them that despitefully use us and persecute us. I want to tell you, that's hard to do. It is hard to do. But that's what God's asked us to do. I want you to also walk away tonight with a lesson that we need to learn to serve God with zeal. Now, you are familiar with this passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 23, that whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. And I read that verse a lot of times, and and you know it says what it says, it means what it means. But I'd like you to make application to that for a moment. And what I mean by that in in, in applying it to the story of Elisha is Elisha has, is goes to the king and he says to the king, you know, point your bow out to the east, and he shoots through the window and says you're going to go to battle against Syria and you can consume them. And he says you take some other arrows and shoot them in the ground. He only takes three, and then he's mad. He's goes, why didn't you, why didn't you, you know, shoot five or six or 12 or 15 because you just didn't care. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about just simply caring about what it is that you do. Have you ever thought about the fact that it's a sin to not obey this verse? That whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men? You know, there are a lot of people that walk through life and they kind of whatever, whenever, however, doesn't really matter. They have no purpose, they have no intention to their life whatsoever. And I want to encourage you tonight to put purpose in your life. That I'm doing these things on purpose. And the reality is that whatever it is that I do, I do it heartily as though I'm doing it to the Lord, not to men. It's not about men patting me on the back, and it's not about glorifying men, it's about God being pleased. It's not about ego, it's not about me, me, my, my, my. It's about God being pleased. Now, most of you in this crowd probably know Lisa and I, but if you don't, I'm going to give you a very quick version of Lisa's of my life. We've been married 30 years this year. We had four daughters. Our oldest daughter was four years old. We decided to have a second child. Six days later, Lisa's expecting fertile as the Tennessee Valley. Eight weeks later, find out it's twins. We didn't have any health insurance on the first one. When I say health insurance. We had health insurance but not maternity coverage on the first one. So we paid cash on the barrel head to get the first one here. The second one, we were real smart though. We paid for three years on a maternity policy because that second child's going to be paid for. We're not going to come out of that, you know, out of our pocket. Well twins. All of a sudden it's C-section time and if you're taking financial planning you may not want to come ask me about it because uh, we had maternity coverage that we paid for for three years but twins came and all of a sudden that went into complications of pregnancy and that was a whole different part of our policy than the than the maternity coverage so the maternity coverage meant nothing and out of about a $10,000 bill we owed 5000 of it. But we had twins beautiful little girls. Loved them dearly glad they were here. Didn't plan the second one but you know the egg split. We took what God did you know then we're through so we cancel our maternity coverage we're through. And a year later, Lisa comes up and says, it turned blue. I didn't know what that meant. And then I found out shortly thereafter, we have another child with no maternity coverage. So we paid. We went to the doctor at that point in time and said to our doctor, "said uh, You know, we can do this many a different way, but if you'll work with us, we'll get you paid. She said, don't worry about it. You're my customer. You're my client. You're my patient. You take your time. And over time, we got her paid for. Her. Glad she's here. Okay? Hannah's been a great blessing to our life. Would never, ever change a thing about it. Four beautiful daughters. We're glad to have them. But those four, four beautiful daughters have grown up. They've graduated college. They're all married. They're out of the house. Lisa and I are by herself today. We're looking at each other, enjoying some Tylees Lisa time. Okay? That's a short version of our last 30 years. But there was one little episode that happened in those 30 years that happened with our youngest daughter. The youngest daughter, I'm going to tell y'all, and this is private here, right? This goes no further. Y'all will not tell my other children I said this. But... Hannah is probably the smartest, sharpest child of the four. I'm not saying the others were not. I'm just saying of the four, extremely bright. She's the kind of kid, loved the TV, memorized every commercial, every word of everything she ever saw. She loved to read all that, extremely bright, but had a lazy streak. Didn't like to work. Okay? W-O-R-K was a four-letter word to, to Hannah. Didn't care for that. Okay? We're trying to get her into college. She's somewhere in her late teens, you know, or whatever, mid-teens to late teens. We're trying to get her into college kind of toward the end of her high school years. And we're even paying for tutoring to try to get her to pass a particular test so that she can get into math and college, etc. And I come home one day and on the cabinet was a report card that said she got a C on something. And I looked at Hannah and I said, A C. Now, y'all get the picture. Extremely sharp. She has the ability to do it. I'm not talking about a child that doesn't have the ability to do it. Has the ability to do it, but has a lazy streak. She knows every commercial on television. Word for word. Can quote it. In the accent of the actors. She knows what she's doing. But she comes home with a C. said, What's going on? And she just kind of looked at me and went, Huh? <laughs> it is what it is. You know? Oh no. <laughs> Mom and Dad been paying for a tutor. There's absolutely no reason why this case and then she pulled the girl thing on me. No offense, girls. Raised four of you. Went to crying. She was bawling. And she looked at me and she said. I said, why are you crying? She said, you're yelling at me. And I said, oh no, I'm not yelling at you. But now I am. And for the next 30 minutes, I'm not recommending this. I will say this to this audience. I'm not even saying it was my finer moment. I'm just saying I'm not recommending it as a parenting technique. I'm just saying at that time, that day with Hannah, she knows what yelling is. For 30 minutes, she understands yelling I mean, there is no question. If you asked her today, have you ever seen your dad yell? She knows the answer to that question. She remembers it vividly. It was an experience she will not forget. And the sermon was about caring. If you cared about what it was you were doing and paid attention, you would understand. But I was not at that decibel level. I was yelling. I mean, top of the lungs. She understood the concept of yelling. She never made that statement again, oh, you're yelling at me. Because she knows what happens when you say, oh, you're yelling at me. Now, once again, I'm not recommending it. But I'm telling you, she needed a sermon on caring about what it was she was doing. She had no drive. She had no fire. She needed somebody to light a fire. I will tell you, years later, after getting through college and a few other things, she came back to me and she said, You know that time? She said, I needed that sermon. And as a parent, I went, yes. You know, because you're not trying to discourage. There's nobody loves her any more than I love her. I wasn't trying to discourage her in any way. What she needed was to care. You ever seen people that way? Maybe even in their Christian walk, they just whatever, whenever, however. We walk into church a lot of times, and what do we do when we sit on the pew? I love the Lord, for He died my soul to save. There's got to be another way, and for me to have to sing this song. Because we come into church a lot of times, we don't care. You know what? the king, or what Elisha was trying to tell the king, was you ought to care about what it is you're doing. I told you you could go win a battle out there, and you didn't care about it. You just shot me three arrows. You could have given me five or six arrows. You could have given me your whole heart. You could have been all in, but no. You just didn't care. And I want to encourage you to care. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord and not unto men. Whatever you do, do it heartily. And I want to tell you that's challenging to do at times because sometimes you don't feel like doing it heartily. But, but you need to care. You need to pay attention to what it is you're doing and care about it. And in your service to God, you need to live life with purpose and live life with intention. You need to do it on purpose every time, with purpose every time. Make decisions. I want to tell you there are some decisions you're going to make in life that are amazingly huge decisions. One of those is where you go to school. One of those is who you marry. One of those is who, where am I going to go to church? What's my church family going to be like? What am I, who am I going to surround myself with? People that want to hold me accountable to the Word of God, want to hold me accountable to be the kind of Christian God asked me to be. But you know, a lot of times people never walk through, they, they kind of halfway don't care. So they date anybody, they marry anybody, they go to school anywhere, they do anything. and They just kind of aimlessly walk through life. And I want to encourage you to make decisions on purpose. That you live life with purpose. That you say, this is where I'm headed, and I'm headed here on purpose. And we're making decisions to get there on purpose. And I'll tell you, that's not easy to do, but I want to encourage you to care. Wouldn't it be good, not only that we acted like we care, but that we truly cared? It'd be better, wouldn't it, if we just cared? And that's what Elisha was trying to tell the prophet of God. Because well, I keep pointing back to that screen like, y'all can see it. prophet of God another thing I want to you to take from the story tonight is you remember Elisha's bones were put into a grave and then another body was being thrown down into that sepulcher touched his bones came to life I want to talk to you about the importance of leaving a legacy behind because that's what Elisha did. Elisha lived his life in such a way as a prophet of God, helped, cared for the people, the children of Israel, helped and guided people, did miracles to help people, etc. He lived his life in such a powerful way that he left a legacy behind. Even after his death, his bones were still doing miracles. His life was that powerful. I want to encourage you to live your life in such a way that even long after you're gone, you leave a legacy behind. I don't know all the history of Denton or all the history even of the Dallas area area per se. But but in our part of the country, I want to tell you, we've got a guy or had a guy in our part of the country. His name was Herschel Williams. Some of you probably know Brother Herschel or knew Brother Herschel. Brother Herschel was 90-something years old when he died. And Brother Herschel was a part of starting the church in Baytown in 1947 after World War II. Uh, help start that congregation. And I will tell you, when I talk to you about Brother Herschel, I'm not saying he did it all by himself by any stretch, but I want to tell you a little bit about Brother Herschel. Brother Herschel, when I was 15 years old, I was asked to hold the first revival meeting that I ever held. And I was asked to go to Shawnee, Oklahoma and preach a meeting. And I was a 15 year old two-bit squirt that didn't know anything about what he's doing. My dad said, if you say yes to that, you got a lot of work to do because you're not saying anything that I don't know what's coming out of your mouth first. So we went up to the church house and dad made me preach to him in the pew by himself because dad didn't want to be embarrassed by anything I said at 15 years old. In the process of that, I was practicing for that meeting. Somehow Brother Herschel heard about that I was holding a meeting in Shawnee. And Brother Herschel, I was 15 years old, Brother Herschel came and knocked on my door with Brother Adrian, a couple of the elders over at Baytown. And they said, Brother Ty, we understand you're going to be holding a meeting over at Shawnee. How about practicing for Baytown first and come hold a meeting for us? So at 15 years old, I held a meeting over here at Baytown for just a practice. You know, they just wanted, you know, what are you going to do elsewhere? We'd like to hear it first. Brave people. Very brave people. (laughs) You know, jumped out there on the edge. So I went and Baytown was the very first meeting I ever held. Brother Herschel was always very supportive of the work that we, we were involved in. Later married and they were very supportive. Did some work with him at different places. Uh, down in Harlingen, Brother Herschel would bring his trailer down there and knock doors with us in Harlingen. This is after I started doing full-time church work. We'd go over to Beaumont. We'd knock doors. It's 110 degrees. And Brother Herschel out there knocking doors with us. We went down to... Brother Herschel's knocking doors. That's the kind of guy Brother Herschel is. I I just want you to know, I mean, he was an in sort of guy. And I very quickly today, and I didn't do the math before the sermon tonight, but uh, in our part of the country, in the Houston area, there's essentially about 11 congregations down there that kind of do what we do. Um, And those congregations, I can very quickly count Baytown, Channelview, um, Spring... Northeast, uh, I put College Park on there, but they're kind of included in the spring northeast end. Uh, Pearland, Lake Jackson, um, Beaumont, from that somewhat derived even in orange. Of 11 congregations in our area, I can put a footprint of Herschel Williams very quickly on several of those congregations. Not because he did it by himself, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to lift him up. I'm just trying to say that Brother Herschel left a legacy behind. That was the kind of guy Brother Herschel was. That's the kind of life that he lived. He left a legacy behind. And I could go into other parts of the country and mention other people. You know, i go to Oklahoma and I think of names like Jimmy Ramsey and John Barris and George Ramsey and guys like that. There's a ton of names to, to mention in different places. Guys that have really made an impact. Brother Herschel was that way in our part of the country. We've got a lot of congregations. That Brother Herschel was the guy that in the business meetings, he'd sit and maybe brethren from different congregations would get together and they'd talk about, hey, we're going to start a church up here or something. Brother Herschel's the voice in the room that goes, we could do this. We really could do this. Why don't we do that? Let's make a few phone calls and see if we can't get that done. You know, too often, Brother Herschel's now been gone for a few years, and we still have those meetings. Occasion we talk about work and church work and things like that's can be done. And you know, a lot. Of, I just want to simply say, Brother Herschel's voice is missed in the room. It's different because you don't have the voice going. We could do this. We could make this work. He left a legacy behind. And I want to tell you, every one of you are going to leave a legacy behind. Every one of you. You're going to live your life in such a way it's going to be like a story that's told. That's what the book of Job talks about. And I want to tell you that story is going to be told. And the book of Psalms talks about telling a story. Your life is, is a story that's told. And the reality is, it's, your life is going to tell a story. The question is, what story is it going to tell? The question is, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? Because you're going to leave one. You're going to have children or grandchildren. They're going to, what are you giving them? What are you leaving for them? And I will hope that your goal is to leave them a church, a congregation. That's better than when you got there because you made a difference in that congregation. Because you touched the lives of people around you. Because you cared about their soul. Because you cared about what it was that you were doing. And you leave a legacy behind. You've got grandchildren coming behind you. Are you leaving them a legacy? What kind of legacy are you leaving them? Because I guarantee you're leaving them something. They're either going to be embarrassed over the decisions Grandpa made... Or they'll be telling the story of what a no-good something they were. Or they're going to be talking about the great faith of their grandfather. What kind of legacy? You know what does my heart good? I'm close to 50 years old now. And what does my heart good is to see the line of these young people that's in this crowd today. Now I don't know, how old are you Samuel? 15. 15 years old. 20 years from now, he's going to be... 35. I can do the math. 35 years old. I'm gonna be 70 in 20 years. He's gonna be 35. How old are you gonna be in? Are you 15? You're fifteen? You're 15? How old are you? Thirteen years old. He'll be 33 years old. I'll be 70. I'm gonna be the old guy in the room, right? They're all going to be sitting around going, Brother Ty, can you hear us? No offense, man. <laughs> that, that's what's going to happen. But the reality is, you know, I want to come back to Denton when I'm 70 and can barely wheel my wheelchair in the room and I want to see 35-year-old people that were dedicated to the cause of Christ, that were making it happen. Or 30 years from now, I'm 80. Maybe I'll live that long. And see, I promise you guys, the decisions you're making today are the decisions that's going to form you in the future. And if you'll make decisions that will leave a legacy behind, someday you're going to be 80 years old or 70 years old and you're going to be talking to a crowd of people that's 10 or 12 or 15 or 20. And you're going to be encouraging them to make the kind of decisions that will make them proud when you're 80 years old and you're looking back. And, you're, and you know, I hope we build these relationships that last. That's the kind of relationships I want. I don't want the kind of relationship that says, oh, you're in my life and then gone forever. I want the kind of relationship that means something, that's got depth to it. There's some people in this room that I've had a relationship with in friendship or, or through church, etc. for years and years and years. I don't know how long. I'm going to guess Brother Michael would probably be one of those, Brother Joe Richardson, etc., that dates way, way back in my life because Michael and I were teenagers together preaching at each other in the pews way back in the day. But I will tell you that there's nothing Brother Michael wants for Denton more than to see Denton be dedicated to the next 20 years and the next 30 years. He wants to be an old man and see good things happening. I promise you there's no greater joy than to see his children walking in the truth. I promise you that's going to be the case. Make decisions today that make a difference in that. Then one other thing I want to mention before we close encourage you to stand in the gap, to be the kind of person. If ever there was a lesson from Elisha that I think we could take is Elisha was the kind of guy that wanted to stand in the gap for the children of Israel. He wanted to help them. Don't go to fight over here. Go over here. You're going to be surrounded. The king of Syria is laying wait for you over here. You guys need to be guided. He was standing in the gap for the children of God. And I want to encourage you to be that kind of a person. That kind of a person that says, I'm here. I'm going to be a part of the congregation. Whether it's Denton or wherever, you're a part of a congregation. But I'm going to be here. I'm going to be a part. You can count on me. I'm going to be a help. I'm going to do it with a great attitude. I'm going to do it cheerfully as in the Lord and not in a man. Or heartily as in the Lord and not in the But let me show you a scripture in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse number 30. Ezekiel the prophet said, He sought out for a man among them that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for that land, that I should not destroy it. But then he said... But I found none. Ezekiel looked out across the people of God. He said, I looked for a man that could stand in the gap, that could be a hedge, that could that would stand in the gap before me, that would care about what it was the children of, of God were doing. But as I looked out there, I want you to look at the last few words of that. That's absolutely no sadder words could be found. But I found none. There was no one, absolutely no one, willing to stand in the gap for God. I hope I'm not looking at that kind of crowd tonight. The song says there's a fountain free. Will you come? Will you come? You want to stand in the gap for God? You want to make a decision tonight that says I'm serving God and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a part. I'm going to be present, accounted for, I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be I'm going to do it hardly. I'm going to care about what it is we're doing. That's what I'm going to take from Elisha, and I'm going to stand in the gap for the people of God. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to leave a legacy behind. Not out of ego and pride, but because I know that's what's going to be good for the people of God. I'm going to be making the decisions that leave a positive legacy to the future. Are you one of those kind of people? I pray tonight as we sing this song that you'd come if you're that dedicated to God that you can make that kind of a decision that's the kind of person that needs to be on God's team because that's what he wants from you he wants everything he wants it all he wants every bit of your heart soul, mind, strength, body that's what he's asking for or do we look out across this crowd tonight and go no one absolutely no one I hope that's not the case I don't believe that's the case I believe tonight there are people in this room that truly want to be servants of the Almighty God. Won't you come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected?